0: In a series called Expectations, and it's brand new. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is the idea of how expectations are created, how they're navigated, or maybe we can avoid them altogether. Because expectations can really get us. Uh, You had expectations this morning when you uh, came online, you expected that the sermon would be fantastic. Uh, You you expected that I'd look amazing. And I had expectations for you, that you got here exactly on time at 10.15. You're dressed in a suit and tie or maybe a really nice dress, and the kids are all dressed up, and they're sitting cross-legged in front of you, very calm, making Lego crosses. And uh, that's just my expectation, and I'm sure you're fulfilling it, right? But even as I say that, you can kind of get the sense of what can happen, what can go wrong when we have expectations that aren't met. Sometimes it goes one way or the other. Sometimes we have bad expectations and something happens and we go, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. That shower, that wedding shower, wasn't as boring as I thought it would be, or whatever, whatever it is. So I go to this place on, um, by my house. It's called Nick's Deli. And uh, they have amazing breakfast burritos. But if you go to Nick's Deli, If you go right when it's open, it's usually okay. But if you go around 8 or 9, especially on a Saturday, you're going to order your breakfast burrito, and it's going to take one half of an hour to get it. And so uh, sometimes when Lisa and I, if we work out on a Saturday, uh, we'll just waste that workout with a breakfast burrito. And uh, so this last Saturday I went, and uh, um, I'm sitting there. I place my order, and I notice some other people are getting fidgety. Why is it taking so long? And they're mumbling with each other. And I heard one lady say to the other, like, how long does it take to make a burrito? (laughs) And so, um, uh, oops, sorry about that. And so um, I just realized I didn't have this on the whole time. Thanks, Mark. By the way, our tech people are incredible. If you could see all that's going on right now, uh, you'd be amazed. And so, um, so I'm sitting there, and I know what's going on. They expected to order a breakfast burrito and have it be like McDonald's. You're, you got it in five, five minutes. But I, because I've been there so many times, and because the breakfast burritos are so amazing, I knew it was going to take a half an hour. Same location, same situation, same price, probably the same breakfast burrito. And yet, one of us is upset, and one of us is happy, because it actually came out in like 22 minutes. And so I was like really happy about that, because I saved eight minutes of expectation. But that's great when it comes to breakfast burritos, right? The next time, either they won't come back, they'll go, it takes too long, or they'll eat the breakfast burrito and go, oh, now I see why. But what if it's your marriage? What if you have an expectation for your marriage that isn't happening? What if it's your kids? You have an expectation that they're going to do well in school and do well in sports and go to college and get a great job, and that isn't working out because they're not meeting your expectations. What if it's your job? What if it's you? What if you're not meeting your expectations? Well, what we're going to do this series is talk about expectations and uh, how we can avoid them. We're going to be discussing three major areas. This week I'm going to be setting it up to show a person in the Old Testament that how expectations completely destroyed their relationship with God. Uh, and then n- uh, next week we'll be talking about Uh, The expectations you have for you, then the expectations you have for others, and then finally the expectation you have for God. We might switch a couple of those too. But Jesus had to deal with this all the time. If you think about Jesus, he either uh, didn't measure up to somebody's expectations or he exceeded them. Very rarely did he just meet someone's expectation because he was operating outside of what people would expect him to do. The very first time that he shared the scripture in the synagogue, he shared this uh, s- a section of scripture, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight of the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he makes this audacious statement. Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now after that. The people were amazed at Jesus. Because he. That's a mess- messianic prophecy. So they're expecting him to do messianic things. From their expectation. Which is to. Uh. Get rid of the Romans so they can have their land back, so they can worship God the way they want, so they can operate the, the way they want. And so just in the next few verses, Jesus makes a statement about how, wow, really the Gentiles are awesome. And they wanted to throw him off a cliff like five uh, uh, scriptures later. And just as a general rule, don't try to throw Jesus off the cliff. It's not going to work. And so uh, they go from, oh man, this is so great, he's going to be the Messiah, then wait, he loves Gentiles too? That, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I went to seminary, and one of the classes I took was um, pastoral counseling. And what I thought pastoral counseling was going to do was teach me how to be a pastor that counsels. Really, all it showed me was that I need counseling. OK, and so and that that's the whole point of the class is like if you don't understand you and if you don't fix you, you have no business trying to help others get um, uh, their relationship with themselves and with the Lord and with others fixed as well. So uh, uh, Dr. Falcioni says this, all expectations are bad. That's how she starts one of the classes. And then she expects us to then engage and go, well, wait a minute. What about the expectation that, um, you know, someone's not going to try to kill me? Like, and then she just systematically goes through how every expectation you have, whether it's the faithfulness of your spouse or a friend sticking with you to the end, all those things are bad. And so I started going through that, and AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, says it this way, Expectations are premeditated resentments. You think about that. If I expect you to show up on time to a meeting and you don't show up on time, now I resent that, right? Uh, One time we were in staff meeting, this is years back, and we, we were all talking about expectations. And we came up with this one, expectations diminish gratitude. So if I expect you to do something and you do it, I don't thank you for that because I expected you to do that. This happens oftentimes as in our work. We expect to get paid because we did some work and we get paid. And now we just see our paycheck not as, a, as God providing for us or as, you know, th- this really symbiotic relationship between us and our employer, which is what it's supposed to be. But we just see it as, well, yeah, I did my work and they paid me. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. And it could go vice versa. You don't appreciate an employee because you paid them. There you go. There's your appreciation. I signed the check. What more do you want? Expectations diminish gratitude. But my favorite one, probably because I, I, I think I came up with it, so it's my favorite, uh, and I, I googled it this week, and I couldn't find it anywhere, and if it's not on Google, that means I invented it, okay? So uh, that's a good rule to have, and this is my favorite because it applies to my personal life. Bitterness grows in a garden of expectations, You have all these expectations and it could be anything from as comfortable as uh, uh, spouses thinking about how often they should be intimate. And you have expectations when you got married and you're 10 years into it and it's changed or whatever. It could be something like that. It could be uh, if I call a friend, uh, they should, or if I text a friend, I should get a text back in five minutes. They're my friend, right? And so you have all these expectations and then bitterness just begins to grow out of those expectations, what I want to do now is just switch to the uh, Old Testament. So, just a real quick history lesson. Um, what had happened? So, Second uh, Samuel's ending. Uh, Solomon is in control. He begins to build the temple, and then in the Bible you get to First and Second Kings, which basically shows or proves that when God, way back in Samuel, said, "Don't get a king," whatever you do, "Don't get a king, don't get a king, don't get a king," and they all went, "Hmm." we should get a king. And so they did, and that was Saul. And that didn't end, end well. And then they had David, and David's whole family was just, ended up getting all messed up. Solomon was kind of the bright spot in it, but once he became king, and he had all that wisdom, he basically became a pagan king. He had all these treaties all over. He started just acting the fool, and his wealth became his god. And, and so we it went all that. And so when he got off the throne, his son took over, and it just went down. And the whole nation was split in two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And first and second kings are about two things. One, you have one king, and that's your heavenly father. And then two, that there's prophets that come to remind them. And so in, in first kings, you have like 20 they, they talk about 20 kings from the north. And 20 kings from the south. And here's how it goes. They were judged on three things. Do they love God? And, and do they encourage uh, the Israelites to follow one God? Do they smash idols? And do they follow the covenant or the Torah? Those are the three things. In the north, out of 20, zero did it. In the south, out of twenty, eight did it. And so... Uh, this is where we kind of catch up. One king came. His name's Ahab. He had a wife called Jezebel, and she was bad, okay? And uh, which is a theological term, bad, all right? So uh, what Jezebel does is she holds this big party. She tricks all the prophets of God. Well, not all because this one guy took away 100 of them and put 50 in one cave and 50 in another and fed them. She, she slaughters all the prophets of God. And so this is where we, where we are now. And there's one prophet, a powerful prophet called Elijah. And uh, that was the one prophet that Ahab wanted to find because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't dead. Well, Ahab, I mean, uh, Elijah comes back and he says to this guy, and it's so cool because I just, I don't know, I just, if I were doing this movie, I would kind of do it like this. You'd just see like some donkey or like a horse or whatever. I don't know, or maybe he's walking and then it's like a cut to Elijah and he's like, tell Ahab Elijah's back, right? And he has like long hair and he's all scruffy. I don't know if it went down like that, but that's how I like to think of it. So the guy says, if I tell Ahab that you're still alive, he's gonna kill me because this guy was bad, his wife was bad. And so they, um, he ends up doing it, he tells him, and Ahab comes out to meet Elijah. And Elijah says, I got an idea. Get 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, Come up on the mountain, and we'll, we'll end up building these two altars. One to your gods, one to my God. Then you will call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. This is, this is so great. And all the people said, that's a good idea. All the people. You can just imagine, if if you're in a group, and all the people say that's a good idea, it's probably a good idea, right? Okay. So all the people said that's a good idea. And so here's what happens, to make a long story longer. They set up the, the altar for Baal and Asherah. They cut up the bull, and uh, they're just waiting for the fire. They call a- upon their gods, and they're calling upon their gods, and everything's going great, because if you got 850 people all screaming out, you know, it just it, it like se- seems powerful, right? Certainly the gods are going to come. So that starts in the morning. By midday, they're starting to get frustrated. Let's just say that's four hours. But Elijah starts taunting them, starts jabbing them a little bit. And so he says, uh, Hey, maybe, maybe you're not screaming loud enough. Maybe, maybe, maybe your God's asleep. Why don't you scream? So they start screaming and they start cutting themselves so that blood flowed out, the Bible says. And so they're dancing and they're yelling and they're screaming and Elijah keeps, keeps bugging them like, Hey, maybe, maybe, um, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's relieving himself. Right? So Elijah's like totally feeling himself right now. He has every expectation that God's going to show up. He's absolutely positive his God's going to show up and their gods aren't going to show up. So finally, the, the time for the evening sacrifice comes and they're exhausted. And so Elijah's like, again, cut shot, my turn. Okay. So what he does is he, he gets his altar all set up, gets the bull on there, puts wood on there. And then he goes, hey, why don't you take some big pots of water and cover, it, cover the whole thing in water. And they built this big trench around it. So when the water fell off, the, 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 the altar and the wood and all that, it would go into this trough. And then, cut, do it again. And so they do it again, fills up the trough. He says, do it a third time. They do it a third time. And here's what happens. This is his, this is his prayer. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know, Lord, uh, that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. This is so sweet because we, we see the heart of God, even in this weird time of the Old Testament, that that's what he's always wanted was just a relationship with you. He's always wanted your heart to be turned towards him because his heart is already turned towards you. So that was his prayer. It didn't take four hours. It didn't take eight hours. Elijah didn't need to cut himself. As a matter of fact, he made it even harder. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Isn't that incredible? God did exactly what Elijah expected. Well, when the people saw this, they fell prostrate uh, and cried, The Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. Incredible, like incredible. Imagine having that kind of confidence that God's gonna come through exactly the way probably He said, right? So he, he, Elijah probably knew this was gonna happen, that this is exactly what God said, and so he was confident. And then he turns to Ahab and he says, You better get back to Jezreel. Because there was a whole there was a famine going on. There was a drought been going on for seven years. He says, You better get on your horse to Jezreel, because rain's coming. Right? So he's so confident. It's like so cool. And so he goes up on the mountain, he's praying. He looks out, no clouds. He looks out, no clouds, he looks out, a little tiny cloud way off in the distance. He looks out. His servant says, There's a cloud coming the size of a man's fist, and it comes. And the rain starts to come. And then God does this thing. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but He He makes like Elijah like Usain Bolt. And he, he says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah and he ran to Jezreel and he beat Ahab there. Okay, Ahab's probably on a horse. So I don't know how it happened, but I'm just wanting to show you the things that Elijah is experiencing. That is amazing. So he beats. Beats him back to Jezreel. If it were me, again, I'd have my feet up and I'd be like, what's up Ahab, what took you so long? But that's just me because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just that way. So Ahab tells Jezebel, yeah, they killed all the prophets. And Jezebel sends a message to Elijah. She sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. Jezebel's saying, basically, dear Elijah, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. Hugs and kisses, Jezebel. That's the note. Now, okay, so check this out. Elijah uh, rained down fire from heaven uh, he, uh, he prayed and brought in uh, a tsunami or a, whatever you call those, a, yeah, just a bunch of rain, right? And, and then ran like Usain Bolt and beat Ahab back to Jezreel. What do you think his response would be? Like he's got all these, God has come through for him over and over and over again. But I believe that in those three instances, he was doing exactly what God told him. Now something has come up. That he didn't know about. There was like a little stumbling block here. Here's what this man of God did. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And he was probably upset because that whole Usain Bolt thing probably left him. And now he's like running like a normal dude. He ran for his life. Things changed. Elijah had certain expectations, the way his life was going, and then something changed. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. My life was going along. One time, I, I, I used to play soccer before it was, like, cool, but, um, you know, all through my life, I was playing soccer, 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 played soccer in high school, and then I was going to play soccer in college, because uh, I thought I was great. Well, when you go to a school that only has seven kids, you can be great. So uh, I get to the school. They're really good at soccer. and, uh, And I just sit the bench and sit the bench and sit the bench. And I thought my life was over. God had moved in my life in all these different ways, but then something came up, and that's just one small example. You could use my son and finding out about his epilepsy. You have, all, you have so many examples in your own life of where things are going along, and then all of a sudden they don't meet your expectations, and all you want to do is run away instead of run to the God that got you to where you were in the first place. So that's what he does. He runs away. And he comes to this broom bush, which was giving him shade. And he sat under it and he prayed. What do you think he prayed? Something like this. Dear God, why did I get so scared about Jezebel? Her gods, they don't, they don't even exist. And you rained down fire. And then you brought water. And then you made, I don't know, my quads just are really sore right now. But you just, you, you did all that. Let's handle this situation the same way. What would you have me do? That might be a good prayer. He might just say, God, can you just kill Jezebel? That would be awesome. Please, amen, you know. That might be it. Here's his prayer. He sat down underneath and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. You know what I love about the Bible? It's so human. When your expectations aren't met, don't you want to escape? Don't you want to sleep or medicate or call up a friend and they go, yeah, that's right, they shouldn't do that to you. Don't don't you want to kind of enter into the self-pity when your expectations aren't met? Do you think that's where God would have you when your expectations aren't met? I don't think so. So what happens is he falls asleep and, uh, uh, all of a sudden an angel, I mean, this, this dude's life, read your Bible. It's incredible. So he's sleeping, an angel wakes him up, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that was on his head or whatever, but he pushes him, rattles him, whatever. And he goes, hey, the journey you're on is going to be a long one. Here's some bread and here's some water. Now, I don't want to read too much in the Bible, But God didn't ask him to run, and God didn't ask him to go where he's going. And so give me this concession to say that I think the journey that Elijah was going was the journey of you avoiding things on your own when expectations aren't met, are too long for you, too hard for you, but I will sustain you through it because at the end of the day, my relationship with you is more important than proving that you're wrong. So he eats it, drinks the water, goes to sleep, escaping again. Knocks on Elijah. Hey, here's some more bread and some more water. The journey you're on is going to be a long one. So Elijah eats that, and he travels for 40 days. And he ends up uh, in a cave where he spends the night, and the word of the Lord came to him and asked him a question. And this is the question that I want to ask you as we begin in the next few weeks to investigate where do our expectations come from? How do we manage them or how do we avoid them altogether? So he went to the cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? I didn't ask you to come here. I didn't say, hey, I'll tell you what. I I saw the letter from uh, Jezebel. Why don't you head up to Mount Horeb? Where I'll be. He asked him. You you got a letter, and 40 days later, it's still affecting you? You're still running? You're still trying to sleep away, whatever it is. What what are you what are you doing here? Now, he's had 40 days to think about this answer. This is the other thing we do when our expectations aren't met. We rehearse. (laughs) We rehearse why it's unfair. We rehearse why our expectations uh, are, are valid. We rehearse why um, th- this is, ju- this is in- an injustice against us. We rehearse. And he, and, uh, and I'll prove to you why I know Elijah has been rehearsing. He replied, Lord, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You ever done that? When something comes along that doesn't meet your expectations and you're like, did I sin? Did I, I mean, I, I, how did I lose my job? I've been tithing my whole life. How, how I invested in that company. They said it was guaranteed, and I lost my money. God, you couldn't have just come to me in a dream and said, don't invest in that company, right? Like, you couldn't have done that? Like, okay, I don't mean to brag, but I'm a pastor. I should get, I should get special treatment. This is what Elijah's saying. Now, when I say that, you know how audacious that is, because you understand that your heavenly father doesn't operate that way. It's not transactional, it's relational. But Elijah has this thing down. He's got it rehearsed. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. So again, they're they're not as good as me. Torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, which is not true, and he knows it because the guy had told him there was a hundred prophets, 50 in one cave and 50 in another. And now they are trying to kill me too. That actually is true. Okay. He's got this whole thing memorized. Don't we do that when our expectations aren't met? You know what I do? Here's what I do. This is terrible. But If I have an expectation that someone's going to act a certain way, and they don't act that certain way, and it bothers me, I'll rehearse stuff in my mind of the conversation that I'm going to have when it finally comes to a head. And I not only rehearse my lines, I rehearse their lines for them, which takes a big pressure off of them. And so I go through this whole thing. Sometimes I'll do it in the shower, where I'm just like going, you know, and the other thing, and I don't understand, and you know, oh my goodness, I did this and that. It's human nature. Hopefully, by the end of this four weeks, we won't do that, or at least we'll recognize what's happening, because this is what we're going to see happens in just a little bit. The Lord said, "Okay." He hears Elijah. He says, "Go out and stand on the mountain. The presence of the Lord, uh, the, the presence of the Lord, uh, for the Lord is about to pass by." Now, I got to give Elijah props. Because if it were me, like if, if God was like, I'm saying, God, why did this happen? He goes, hey, go into your garage. I'll meet you there. I'd be like, oh, that's cool. I get it. Nah, things don't go right. Like, I'd be frightened because I'd be like, like I was all my life. Am I in trouble? That's a question I ask myself all the time. Like, I got an email just a few days ago, and they're like, hey, do you have time next week to meet? And my first thought is, am I, am I in trouble? Because like, it was a, someone above me in the denomination. Um, I, I probably, probably am. Uh, anyway, so go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord didn't respond that way, the way we often want him to respond. Kill Jezebel now. <laughs> Done. Fire down from heaven. Storms come in. Hussein Bolt kill Jezebel, we're done. doesn't happen that way. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake. That kind of sounds like God. God's big and we think about earthquakes and thunder and lightning and that. He wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Which is odd because the Lord was in the fire when he burnt up the, the sacrifice. And after the fire came the way that I think the Lord talks to you and I every single day. It's in a whisper. It's in a, hey, like the first question. What are you you doing here? So watch what happens. Elijah heard it. (laughs) He heard the whisper. He pulled his cloak over his face, which is what I would do. Or I'd just leave the garage really fast. He pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So he knows God is here. God came for a whisper. He takes his cloak and he puts it over his face so he doesn't have to look at God. You know what God says to him? I'm done with you. I gave you all these miracles, all these things in your life. And and I'm going to remind you of all the things I've done for you. Because if you read the story of Elijah, like he like laid on a dead guy and he came back to life he he took like one jar of oil and like a little bit of bread and just made all this bread all these miracles god could have done that god could have yelled at him get out of here I'm sick of you but he does what he does often he asks us a question what are you doing here elijah what are you doing here now imagine If you could begin to ask yourself that question as you hear the Lord, and it could be something small. It could be something small. I gave you my Nick's Deli example. I'll give you another one, small as well. So at Nick's Deli, the reason, shoot, now I think everyone's going to start going to Nick's Deli. Steve's Deli in Los Alamitos, uh, you need to go to Steve's Deli. The burritos are even better. Don't go to Nick's. Okay, so... uh, So, um, you know, of course the line's long. The burritos are delicious and, you know, there's only a few, it's small. There's only a few people in there, right? But Vons, that's a different, that's a different thing altogether. There's like eight checkout lines. And when I go there, I expect all eight are going to be manned by people and that there's going to be no one in line. And my only angst is figuring out to pick which person would I like to check out my stuff. But I sit in the line, and there's only two checkout people, and the line's 10 people. And I sit, and I fume, and I'm like, I have to have my hummus. Why aren't there more checkout people, right? It's stupid. In that situation, the Lord could say, what are you doing here, John? I'm getting my hummus. No, 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 no. Not about the hummus. What are you you doing here? How do you get upset about this? Oh, because I had an expectation. I had an expectation that everything was going to go well for me. I had an expectation there was going to be no traffic. I had an expectation that when there was a promotion, I was going to get it because I was the most qualified. And I didn't get it. And God says, what are you doing here? Well, I didn't get my expectation, Matt. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know what Elijah does? You could take this verse, print it out, take the previous time Elijah said what he was doing, put them together, put them up to the light, and it would be the exact Same words Elijah had rehearsed. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Again, not true. And now they are trying to kill me too. And here's the advice God gives Elijah, gives me, and gives you. Go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. How did did you get to this place? How how did you get to this expectation? It it could be something like you expected your kids would be out of the house by this time. And they're not. It could be your family of origin. Every, Every night your mom made dinner and the family all got together. And you married someone who it's like, hey, everybody's on their own. And now you're trying to figure out, go back, how'd you get here? How'd you get here? It could be something really tragic. But I think what God wants to do is get us back to the beginning so that we can now go through it with Him. Go back to the first time you got that letter, Elijah. And let's start there. And let's set a new path for you. Because... Things are happening as the worship team returns that you don't even know about. Things are being done over here and over here and over here. I'm working in all these different ways that if you get caught up in your expectations, you're going to miss the whisper of God to you. I'm going to miss the whisper of God to me going, what are you doing? Why do you have this expectation? How are we going to move together? The situation is the situation. God didn't Erase the letter from Jezebel that says you're going to die. God isn't going to erase the circumstance you're in, the circumstance I'm in, the circumstance we're all going to be in. How did you get there? Let's go back. We could do it with the political situation we're in right now if you want. Whichever party you're in, whatever. You're scared, you're happy, you're this, you're that. You, you expect that your party's going to do this or do that. Okay, oh why are you here? Let's go back. Where does that all come from? He says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, not even the hundred prophets, but 7,000 whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him." There are people around you and circumstances around you that God has been working that you have no idea even existed. So here's the question I want to ask you this week and the question that i'm going to ask you in the next three weeks do you want god to meet your expectations or do you want to meet god do you want god to meet your expectations or do you want to meet god when i find myself in a time of disappointment when i find myself in a time where my expectations are not met do I want to say that's not fair? This is Why is this happening to me? God, why aren't you doing something? Or do I want to ask the question, how did I get here? Like literally, how did, how did I get to a place where now I'm upset? When maybe many around me are going through the exact same thing. It's the exact same circumstance. And they're fine. And yet because of my expectations, I'm not. So we're going to play one more song. And uh, as we do that, uh, that's the question I want you to kind of mull over in your heart. And you can join along uh, with Wilson and the team, or you can uh, you know, just sit quietly or stand quietly wherever you are. But ask yourself that question. And maybe you take this time to look through some of your expectations and ask God, God, how did I get here? Why am I here? in this situation let me pray for us Lord Jesus we have so many expectations and Lord I pray you take the simple the simple examples I've given and extend those out to the very very complex real situations people are going through so nothing feels dismissive or small God you know these are big deals but that we could hear your gentle voice, your still small whisper going, hey, let's go back the way you came and we'll start over from there. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we do at Living Spring, uh, whether we're gathered physically or digitally, is we stand for the blessing. If you can't do that right now, no big deal. Um, But uh, we just do it as kind of a tradition. Now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go in his peace, in his love, in his strength, and in his presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.